Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sundays with Saima. This podcast is made for aspiring otolaryngologists to learn from trainees and professionals in the field. I'm your host, Saima Wase, fourth year medical student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. John Schneider, practicing rhinologist, skull based surgeon, and associate professor of otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. He earned his medical degree from the University of Chicago School of Medicine. He then went on to complete his residency at Rush University, followed by a fellowship in rhinology and skull-based surgery at Vanderbilt University. Dr. Schneider, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, this is great. So you mentioned a bit of a a non-traditional path to medicine. What got you interested and how did you start out? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was an econ major at the University of Chicago and, and had originally planned on getting my PhD in economics. And I even worked at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. for two years right out, right out of college. And uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, medicine had always been a, a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I worked more and more in economics, which they called the dismal science, um, it seemed a little dismal uh, to me. And it seemed like I wanted to have a much more practical impact with people. And so medicine um, became more of a uh, interest. And so, um, so I volunteered and did, you know, work in ICUs and things while I was living in Washington, D.C. And then I actually had to go back and get my pre-med requirements taken care of. So I did that at University of Pennsylvania and then went back to the University of Chicago. I'd uh, done undergrad there and did a master's degree in public policy and, and medical school. Okay. And, um, and then when I was in medical school, I... I originally wanted to be a pediatrician. That was what uh, I thought I wanted to do. And then I remember very uh, specifically uh, Dr. Baruti, who is at the University of Chicago, who was a great, great guy. Uh, he came and gave our second year lecture on the head and neck exam and head and neck, you know, uh, otolaryngologic uh, workup. Mm-hmm. Just grabbed me. And I from that day forward, I spent time with the ENT department at the University of Chicago. I was kind of a, a probably a little bit of a pest, but I really enjoyed all things head and neck, and and um, it just that was it. And I went forward and you know applied and got in and did residency at Rush, as you said, and then the story goes on. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, economics as kind of abysmal science. Uh, what makes you describe it as so? It's actually a term that was um, coined. I'm gonna, I always forget the reference, but um, it, it's a science. Uh, you know, economics is obviously a huge field um, in, in the social sciences, um, but there's an aspect of it where um, a lot of human behavior is put into terms. Um, uh, of economic um, behavior. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we are all rational and can make rational choices and, and maximize our utility. Um, and I'm oversimplifying this greatly, but, but, but 
you know, there's a lot of assumptions that go into economic modeling of human behavior that never sat well with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, uh, so it was hard for me to kind of be the, the, a, a cheerleader for the field, mm -hmm. uh, feeling that there was philosophically something not, not quite right about some of those assumptions. And so when you lose faith in an entire field, it's hard to get your PhD in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is not to say that economics is, is a, is a, is economics has done great things for our understanding of, of the world. Right. Uh, just personally, it felt, and it felt a little esoteric. Okay. Out of touch. Whereas medicine is about as least, as, as least esoteric as a field as possible. Right. Um, yeah. You're in it and you're in, um, sometimes the very messy aspects of humanity. Absolutely. And you went, you went on to do a master's in public policy. What triggered that for you? I, I never gave up on social science. I always thought that it was um, uh, enormously important to understand um, this, this, you know, complex world we live in. Mm -hmm. And certainly healthcare is, is wrought with social science issues. Um, um, we are living through one right now, <laughs> right? In the pandemic. Right. Um, and so many of the, of the broad social sciences, psychology, sociology, political science, economics, all have areas of study that are relevant for us as physicians. And, um, uh, so for me, it was important to kind of maintain that. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so it was, it's been enormously helpful in understanding, um, kind of macro level things with regards to health policy and, um, you know, the business side of medicine, but also the very micro, uh, aspects of my patients' lives, um, to know that our patients their health concerns that we are dealing with immediately on a day-to-day -day basis are happening not in a vacuum but in the broader perspective of their life and that intersects with their job and their income and their um, community and um, every social aspect of their lives right and so right. and in very practical ways not in esoteric ways mm -hmm. do you think that this study of social science is well represented in otolaryngology? More and more. Okay. Is, and I think, you know, sur kind of surgical subspecialties in general have um, always had very kind of biologic focus, uh, a biologic focus, and rightly so, right? Our job as surgeons is really to understand the, the human biology, human anatomy, uh, to help our patients. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, but again, it's not in a vacuum, right? right? Whether you're talking about head and neck cancer, whether you're talking about hearing, whether you're talking about allergies, right? Um, there's a range of disorders that we deal with and intersect with as otolaryngologists that are, um, related to the social milieu of, of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
you know, at the at, at the very least, like every other specialty that we um, in, in medicine, our patients have social determinants of health. Our patients have social determinants of the um, their care plan, right? Mm -hmm insurance status, let, let alone, you know, just as one, um, you know, these, these things um, are better and better understood um, as time goes on. Um, I know a lot of colleagues across this field of otolaryngology who are very concerned about um, understanding these better. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard. It's hard because we have to, we have a lot to focus on just as clinicians right absolutely uh, yeah so um it takes time but i think there are a lot of great people in the field who are doing great things to um to bring attention to these the social science aspects of what we do good i'm glad that it's moving in the right direction and uh what uh in your research how do you focus on health policy so my my main um, academic interest is actually with uh, communication in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Specifically, not well. Let me back up. The the many of us, right, as medical students, are taught about communication in healthcare, but it primarily focuses on the patient physician relationship, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're taught how to interview a patient. We're taught how to um, deliver bad news these types of things, all extraordinarily important. But there's so much more that goes on with our communication. And in particular, the area that I've been most interested in is the um, how our cognition works. Um, and this comes from your, this actually comes from economics. So um, there's an author named Daniel Kahneman who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Great it's a book. Yeah, it's an incredible book, right? Mm -hmm. And it launched that the book itself didn't, but the but Dr. Kahneman, you know, Professor Kahneman and his um, compatriot Amos Tversky launched an entire field of behavioral economics um, from their work um, looking at how people make decisions under uncertainty, mm -hmm. and what they found in their work and then others have found um, over the years is that you know whereas i said earlier in the interview that you know economics makes a lot of assumptions about our rational being us being rational and making decisions in a very rational way they said that's not let's forget that assumption and see what people actually do and it turns out it's much messier than that right what we do is we engage our cognition to help shortcut our thinking mm -hmm. in ways that sometimes helps us, but mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't help us. And that is a broad literature, and we could go on for hours about that. But what I saw was that given all of that science, given all of the, the, the huge amount of research that's gone into understanding how complex our decision making is, well, oftentimes our communication is really about decision making, right? And never is that more true than in medicine, right? right? Where you and I, in interviewing patients and helping them decide about a treatment or giving them new information, 
we're, we're making decisions, our patients are making decisions, we're talking with other doctors and trying to come to a, a shared decision, and yet this area hasn't percolated so much into how we talk to each other within medicine. This idea that perhaps we're not as logical and linear as we think we are. Mm -hmm. Falls might exist that may make our cognition messier and therefore our communication messier. And so that's what that's where I kind of spend a lot of my time academically. Sure. That's very interesting. And I haven't heard that perspective of communication and healthcare before. Um, how do you hope that it will impact the field of medicine in general? Um, well, hopefully I can have an impact. I don't, I don't know. One, one always hopes that the work you do can have an impact, but the, you know, what I would hope is that we can, if nothing else, raise awareness about how hard it is sometimes for us to make um, good decisions. Um, right. Not in the sense of, you know, a binary decision like should I or shouldn't I, right? Or but, but often that it's, you know, making decisions when things are not so certain, right? Or making decisions when there are competing interests. Um, mm. But then for us as physicians, and this is probably the bigger, the bigger issue is, because we are the holders of a lot more information sometimes than our patients regarding, you know, the understanding of the biology, the understanding of the anatomy, foreseeing what might actually happen in the future if someone goes down a certain treatment um, pathway, that we can learn to shape our communication in ways that really help patients understand and make decisions that align with their best interests right right um and i think i think you know you can, you can never be sure of these things but i think that the cognitive science will really shed light on this mm -hmm. and and perhaps that maybe we need more of a curriculum for teaching physicians about this mm -hmm. In medical schools and in residency programs. So we came up with something, or I came up with something um, with the support of my department for um, doing communication rounds in our department, which is something that's, I don't know that it's done anywhere else, but, you know, every couple months I meet with the residents and we try to talk about challenging communication episodes that they've had or um, bring some of the science from, you know, the cognitive science literature to help them, um, you know, reflect on how they communicate and how they think while they're communicating mm. to better um, to better help their patients and 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 their colleagues, right? Is, Absolutely. Communication is used in every aspect of your day, so I I think that would be very helpful. Um, not only as a resident, but also in medical school to have some kind of forum to discuss how to better communicate. Um, I don't know if you have any suggestions besides um, like reading books, like thinking fast and thinking slow. What others, what other things can medical students do to improve on this? So there's a number of possibilities. So one is there are organizations that 
focus on this uh, in different ways. Um, there's the Academy of Communication and Healthcare, um, which I just became a member of. I'm very excited about it. Um, I just took their first uh, course called Enrich in June. And it was a two day, even though it was over Zoom, as we were all doing with um, this pandemic, um, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience to be able to reflect on communication challenges that I've had to be able to interact with people, even mostly outside of my specialty. In mm -hmm. fact, I was one of the few surgeons present in this, in this conference. Uh -huh. And I ended up talking with some folks who are members of the organization, and there aren't many surgeons in 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 this um, in this organization, um, uh, which reflects a longstanding you know history of of communication uh, uh, focus that is maybe not as well not as focused on in the surgical subspecialties as perhaps you know med internal medicine or primary care, but um, there are courses that pop up all over, but I, I do think actually one of the ways, one of the simplest ways that we can all do this is building in the time to have um, not just moments of personal reflection, but actually challenging ourselves to allow our communication to be examined. And mm -hmm. that can happen through various methods. Um, role play scenarios, um, improv. I took a great course, um, oh gosh, almost three years ago now with, uh, the actor Alan Alda. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, some, some, some students and residents don't know who he is because, um, he's older, but he was Hawkeye Pierce on MASH, the TV program. Okay. It was, I mean, for folks my age and older was, I mean, it is one of the greatest medical shows actually ever, ever made. It was about a mobile um, uh, army surgical hospital, MASH, that, mm -hmm. I think that's the right uh, acronym, but MASH in the Korean War. And it was a comedy, I mean, it was a sitcom, right? But there were moments in that show that really kind of uh, challenged, um, you know, a lot of the assumptions about humanity and, mm -hmm. and all of these things that we all deal with. But he, he, if you ever want, I mean, one of the best books I ever read was his book, which was, um, I believe the title is, If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? And mm -hmm. it was written all about communication and how okay. it actually is. Um, there's a number of great books out there. Um, that you can really take the time to, to reflect on. But I would encourage, I mean, everybody who, who's interested in this to seek out the time to actually talk about it because, and things like this podcast are actually great ways for people to get exposed to this kind of stuff and, um, and uh, become metacognitive about their communication to right. realize above oneself to say, Am I doing this okay? Am I actually communicating well, or am I just saying things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. 
So how did you find your niche in rhinology and skull-based surgery? Right. So <laughs> um, I will tell you the case. Mm-hmm. Totally clinched it. Um, I had great training at Rush. It was a, it was really a, um, a kind of in the, at the time I was there, it was a very in the trenches kind of program, very clinically busy, lots of work to do. Um, uh, great cases. But I remember doing a case with one of our head and neck surgeons uh, that was a um, bilateral ethmoid encephalocele. And I, I mean, I mean, that was. 12 years ago, 11 years ago, mm-hmm. I remember the case. I mean, I remember the room. I remember everything because it was so, it was such a formative case for me um, to work on and do this amazing endoscopic endonasal work for this, you know, intracranial condition. And it, right. um, it really solidified my interest in the nose um, and all of the complex um pathology that you know, surrounds it and so um we i just loved it it was it was uh, just fascinating and there's so much more to learn about the nose and all of the conditions that we treat there that it's fun to be um in an academic environment and you know test out ideas and and uh really start to try to understand better chronic sinusitis and uh, inverted papillomas and all of the different pathology that we see. Absolutely. It's an interesting field and relatively newer. So I'm excited to um, gain exposure just as a medical student. Um, Yeah. Do you have any other advice for medical students interested in otolaryngology? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, it's an amazing field. It really is. Um, there's so much, um, as somebody who studies communication, um, albeit from, you know, kind of a cognitive science perspective, the head and neck is very much the way we communicate. Right. Right. Everything that we kind of touch in terms of the, of the specialty, hearing and smell, all of the senses, speech, swallowing, you know, I mean, the ophthalmologist, I guess, can have the sight stuff, but, you know, <laughs> we participate a little bit, right? <laughs> but, but a lot of what we do has to do with how we interact as human beings with uh, the world, right? Mm-hmm. And each other. And so there's, there's really some, it's just a fascinating specialty. I think for medical students, I think, um, you know, really learning about um, the ways in which what we do as physicians really help people, not just, you know, um, uh, deal with their cancer, and all of that is important, but how, how it has so much fundamental effect on um, our patients' lives and how we communicate that it really can be something that you can pour your, your passions into, you know, um, and finding that early on, I think is, is, is really valuable because I think that you can, 
Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to only choose that, right? You don't have to commit to being a rhinologist in medical school, right? <laughs> <laughs> The whole of the specialty, but I think that that you know, reaching into the specialty to really find those those um, parts that um, really excite you um, really makes the the experience as a student and as a resident much richer. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Schneider. We learned about your economic background, how you got your master's in uh, policy, and then went on to uh, become a rhinologist and skull-based surgeon. And your interest in uh, communication is very new in the field of surgery and very interesting to me. And I think it will be super interesting for other medical students interested in this field. So thank you for your time. Any final thoughts? just have fun remember that medicine is a is a is a big commitment but can really be very 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 fulfilling so um, thank you for having me absolutely thank you for the listeners to making it to the end of this episode and catch us on the next week of sundays with saima